0: And all in makes a difference. I've discovered that when it comes to uh, sport, and uh, I, I like skiing, I like water skiing, I used to like snow skiing, I haven't done it for years, and, and it's great when you're all in and when you just absolutely go for it, and if you don't, you end up getting back on the beach feeling frustrated. Right? It's, I, I, like, I love it when it comes to renovations. I realize that if I just go half-hearted on a house renovation, it's, it's a continual frustration, especially for Sarah, because I never get it finished. You go all in. I've discovered this in terms of friendships. That in fact, if you're half-hearted in friendships, well, they're just like acquaintances, really. I've discovered this in terms of parenting. Unless you're all in, you don't get it. I've discovered it in terms of marriage that if you're half-hearted in your marriage, if, unless, unless you're all in, you're just missing out. I, I've discovered this, and I've also discovered this in my walk with Jesus, that uh, if you're half-hearted, you miss out. And if you're all in, there's incredible joy. And I wonder for some of us today if we're all in with Jesus. That's really the, the message of this passage. Um, are you all in for Jesus? And we're going to talk about that as we go through Philippians chapter 3. It starts like this, verse 1 and 2 in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the flesh. It's a great way to start, isn't it? You might say, "What's this got to do with all?" In well, let me talk about this. So, rejoice in the Lord. By the way, that's a great framework for life. I wonder how your rejoicing is going. I wonder if, if when you come to to be in God's presence, if there is a sense of, oh, "I'm just rejoicing. I am. I'm choosing joy." when I'm with the Lord. And that, that's a message for today. And then Paul starts in this little passage. He, he wrote his letters, Philippians, all the other ones in the New Testament that he wrote. He wrote them with a number of agendas. The first one was to encourage people. He also wrote them to equip people. He wrote them to prepare people for attacks that would come against their faith. And he wants to write here in this moment, warn the Philippian believers there were some dogs around. Now, dogs, unlike our day, were, were hated, right? They, were, they tended to just be the, the scavengers that were roaming around, eating whatever they could find. So when Paul is saying, watch out for those dogs, he's not saying, oh, there's a cute cocker spaniel. you'll yeah, watch out for it and look after it. He's saying, there are scavengers around. There are, there are these untamed, untrained animals that are around. But is he talking about animals? No, he's talking about People who were praying on others? He's talking about people who would walk into your lives who would pray on those who weren't theologically grounded, who didn't know their Jesus, who were maybe unsettled or, or shakable in their faith. And Paul's challenge was that there were people who were coming into the church in Philippi and they were adding to the gospel. And they were muddying the waters and they were making things complicated and they were making things legalistic. And they were, they were coming in with this thing of saying, you know what, you say you believe in Jesus, well, that's fine, but now you need to add the following. And it was causing distress. You know, Satan comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. And if you see anything where there is a stealing or a killing or a destroying of life, He's behind it, and he targets the church. You know, a few months ago, we um, stood up here and warned the street about a cult, which is in Wellington at the moment, and uh, I met someone last Sunday night who had got caught into that cult, and I uh, know him well, and he came to me and he said that it pains me to say this, I feel so ashamed, but he said, they, they trapped me. He said, they did it because they offered me deeper Bible studies. They offered me an addition to, to normal church. And as I started going, I started wondering what was going on. They were very friendly and very nice. And, and then they started to say, oh, don't tell other people about this. And by the way, you need to only read these books. You need to only do this stuff. And he, thankfully, he thought, hang on, this just doesn't feel right. And he came back and he said last, last Sunday night, he said, I'm back. I'm back and I'm free. Praise God. But I want to tell you, there is a cult operating in our city. And there might be someone sitting in here right now and you're a part of that and I want to warn you in Jesus' name, you have no place here because we stand for truth. Don't add anything to Jesus. Don't add anything to the gospel. Keep yourself true to Jesus Christ. Just back to the warnings we gave last time. If you're in a life group or if you're in a Bible study group and it's not a part of the street group, get out. I'll just be really blunt about that. And if the leadership that's in that group are not aligned with us, and they're not something that Josh is our life group's pastor knows about, can you ask some really serious questions around that? This is serious. Because this is destroying people's faith. This is destroying people's Lives. This is why Paul says there, it is no problem for me to write this stuff to you again and again. He's warning people. This is a matter of great seriousness. What was the issue for Paul? Well, there are a group of people demanding physical circumcision as a needed reality to be really spiritual and to really follow Jesus. I'm so glad we're not dealing with that one today. But Paul simply calls it what it is. He says they're just mutilators of the flesh. And then he goes on to describe true faith, which he says is a matter of the heart. And it shows itself with three characteristics. And we have it there in verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. I want to suggest to you that these are marks of someone who is living an all-in-life for Jesus. Right, there's three things that you have there. Your life is all to him, it's all for him, and it's all because of him. The all to him is this service through the Spirit, and the word service there is one of the words that we also use for worship. So we have both of these ideas. If you're living a full life for Christ, you're serving with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you're active, and you're vibrant, and you see an incredible joy, because as you serve, you watch how God transforms other people through your ministry. And as you do that, you're encouraging them to grow in the faith, and the impact of what you're doing as you serve in the Spirit is you see other people get closer to Jesus, because that ultimately is the Holy Spirit's work, is to shine the spotlight on Jesus. And you find that if you're serving in the Spirit, as you're serving, other people are growing to become more like Him. You also find that you are bringing offerings of praise to the Lord and the Spirit energizes and focuses Christian worship. I wonder if you're all in with your worship. I wonder if there is a sense of all in this. Or I wonder if when you come, it's like, well, I'm here and I'll, I'll sort of step back. And I, I wonder for some of us if we need to lean in and allow the Holy Spirit to inspire and to equip and to fill our hearts and our minds with worship. You know, there is an uncontainable joy in praising and worshiping the Lord. It's about lifting Jesus up. So we have this service in the Spirit, which will see others brought closer to Christ. We have this worship in the Spirit, which will see us lifting Him up. You see, it's all to Him. We also, as Paul said there, we glory in Christ Those who are followers of Jesus That is we boast in him, we're proud of him We say, you know, it's all for him I think of John the Baptist who was the cousin of Jesus And as he saw Jesus walking towards him When Jesus was about to start his ministry It was like he just, he just flipped out and he said Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world That was a statement of absolute pride He was proud of Jesus Christ. He saw him coming and he thought, there is no one else. He's the Lamb of God. As as he went on further, it gets to this moment where John the Baptist, he says, you know what? He must get greater. I must get less. He boasted in him. You see, it's all for him. A follower of Jesus Christ, an all-in follower of Jesus Christ, is going to be someone who is going to be more concerned about Jesus getting bigger and you're getting smaller. And I think you will have a test in this because I would say a true Christian has nothing to boast in except Jesus Christ. And people who depend on religion are usually boasting about what they've done. And I wonder if we find we need to build ourselves up and we need to talk about ourselves or if we, in fact, celebrate all that Jesus Christ has done. Third one, no confidence in the flesh. It's all because of him. You know, salvation, our salvation life is all because of Jesus Christ. It's not because of anything we've done, and it's not because of anything Paul did. And that's the point that he gets to here in verse 4 through to 6. He says this, because I've put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, he says in verse 4. If someone else thinks they've reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more <clears throat> circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's arguing the fact against the the shadow of the people that were in there saying, You know what, it's Jesus plus. He was arguing the point to say, no, 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 it's all Jesus, and it's only Jesus. And he was arguing the the fact that some people were saying, "Ah, yeah, but I can bring something to the table. I can bring something about who I am or what I've done, and that's got to be worth something, right? And Paul is making this point. No, it's not. He's saying, you're self-confident? Well, listen, I, if anybody has got the opportunity to be confident in what they have before Jesus Christ, I have. He said, I was born right, I did right, and I achieved right. I was born right, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, says Paul. By the way, some of us say, you know, I was born a Christian. Um, no, you weren't. Right? It's, a, it's a saying we often hear, yeah, yeah, I was, I was born a Christian, no. You may have been blessed to be born into a Christian family, and we've celebrated that today. But there, there comes a moment when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Now, many of us in here who were raised in a Christian home could not tell you when that moment was. Right, we could say oh, I was somewhere between the age of whatever and whatever. Some of us feel like we just sort of drifted into it, but the reality is, is that yes, you and your thinking and your memory may have drifted into it, but there was a moment where you crossed from death to life. How many of you can remember the day, the moment you were physically born? Well, are you here? Right, okay, so, so you're right. Yeah, the, the evidence is compelling that you were physically born at some point, right? True? It's exactly the same. You may not remember that exact moment, but the evidence is compelling because the character of Christ, the all-inness for Christ, for him, through him, because of him, is evident in your life. So it's, If someone say, well, that's just kind of like theological nitpicking. Well, it's actually quite important. Because there are many people who wander around saying, Well, I was born into a Christian family, so therefore I'm a follower of Jesus. And they've never actually come to a moment and come to a place where they say, You know what? I'm surrendering my life to Christ. Paul could say, I did right. He fully obeyed the law. And maybe you say, I've, I've got a moral code I rely on. I'm good enough. Paul's saying, No, that doesn't work either. And then he achieved right. He lived zealously for the sake of the law. You might say, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, if there was a set of scales put up, what I've done that is good is going to outweigh what is bad, and therefore surely I'm okay. Paul says, no, that's the wrong way to measure it. You can't measure it. How do you have a relationship with Christ? Well, Paul's point is that confidence in religion is baseless. And in fact, he goes on to say that he had to lose his religion to find salvation Tim Keller puts it this way he says religion operates on the principle I obey therefore I'm accepted by God the gospel however operates on the principle I'm accepted through the costly grace of God therefore I obey you can have two people operating on these two principles sitting beside each other in a church on a Sunday trying to do many of the same things reading the Bible, obeying the commandments being active in church and praying but out of two entirely different motivations you see religion moves you to do what you do out of fear insecurity and self-righteousness but the gospel moves you to do more and more out of grateful joy in who God is in himself religion or salvation so how did paul lose his religion well Keeps on going. Philippians 3, verse 7 to 9 says this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He uses the word consider in there. <clears throat> and the word consider is this idea of a completed evaluation, a hundred percent certain view. Now, many of us in this room will have Kiwi Saver. Right? And and if you think about Kiwi Saver as a thirty year old compared to Kiwi Saver as a seventy year old, there is quite a difference in the way that you approach it. If you're 30 or a bit older, or whatever it is, you start at the outset wondering if it's really going to work out. Yeah, you might spend lots of time checking out the, the balances. You might be comparing the different companies that you can invest with. You might be listening to the multiple messages that are going on. Every time there's an OCR cut or something like that, you go and look and see uh, what have you actually made. You watch it drop, and you go, oh, no, you get that fear of I'm going to lose everything. And you just have this constant sense of, well, I wonder if there's a better choice. I wonder if to a better way. Maybe I should have invested it in the property. Maybe I should do this. And you, you spend all that time with this fear of, have I got this right? 30-year-old. You might even find yourself looking at the money in there going, maybe I should just blow it. Why am I putting that money in there? Maybe I should just, all of those thoughts go on. You know, the 70-year-old, I've got the return in the hand. They've got it. It's it's there. It's it's done what it's done. And they consider the Kiwi saver a good investment because it's proven. And they consider this a worthwhile investment. Paul's writing these words like a 70-year-old. He's not writing them with a speculation. He's not writing them with a wish and a hope. He's writing them looking back. He's writing them saying... I, need, I want to consider this and I'm going to consider my life and how it's gone and I'm going to tell you how to live. And he starts by saying, whatever were gains to me, my background, my qualifications, my religion, my identity, my beliefs, My assets, my reputation. He says, I've assessed them. And actually, from where I sit now, says Paul, they were a liability holding me back from life. Wow. They were holding me back from joy and freedom in Jesus Christ. You see, he's saying everything needed to be managed and maintained, and they require energy and time and focus. And that took me away from more time to know Jesus. And when he thinks about it, he said, in fact, everything is a liability when compared to the infinite worth of knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul did lose everything. He ended up in jail. He ended up in prison. All he had in the end was Christ. And he makes this point. He says, actually, if I could, I'd go the whole way now. And when I think about it from my end-of-life perspective, everything else is rubbish. It's a distraction compared to knowing Jesus. Everything. And it's like he would take a big rubbish bin and he would scoop it all up and he would dump it in and he'd say, you know what? Compared to knowing Jesus and growing in Jesus, everything else belongs in the rubbish bin. Billy Graham, the evangelist who passed away just recently in his 90s, he he was cited as saying the following late in life. He said, although I have much to be grateful for, as I look back over my life, I also have many regrets. I've failed many times, and I'll do many things different. For one thing, I would speak less and study more, and I would spend more time with my family. A phenomenal statement from a man who preached around the world and who led literally millions of people to Christ. Then he says this, fascinating. I would also spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. I would spend more time in prayer, not just for myself, but for others. I would spend more time studying the Bible and meditating on its truth, not only for sermon preparation, but to apply its message to my life. And I would give more time and attention to fellowship with other Christians who could teach me and encourage me and even rebuke me when necessary. And in that statement, Billy Graham seems to be saying that everything else I'll just put in the rubbish bin. And the man at the end of his life, he said, you know what? I just wish I'd prayed more. When I consider I just wish I'd developed my friendship with Jesus Christ more. I wish I had an all-in-life for Jesus. So I wonder how that rings for you, how that rings for me. I guess the challenge is, is that for many of us, we simply add Jesus to our list, to our pile, to our assets, that following Jesus is something we add to. And what Paul is saying here is that following Jesus actually is an all or nothing deal. And the joy we find in the Christian life comes through our complete commitment to him. And our fear of missing something better or easier means that we often miss the fullness that that commitment brings. And I, I wonder if we value the ability to choose as opposed to the ability to commit. And you see, it, it strikes me that what all in for Jesus means is I'm all in committed, as opposed to holding back and saying, but if there's something easier or better, I'll jump that way. That's fundamentally true with him. When we find joy, we find life when we live in him, which is the statement here at the end of verse 9. So what does it actually mean to lose our religion and to be found in him? Well, yesterday, I was—I uh, spent the last two days facilitating uh, Christians Against Poverty uh, board vision um, session. We had a phenomenal time. Pray for Christians Against Poverty, by the way. I know you do, but they're just doing such an incredible work, and the next decade is looking incredibly exciting. And as we we did that, and I got to the got dropped off at the airport, and, and um, came time for the the call. In fact, it was interesting last night. Was there a storm that went through here last night? Yeah, so I was sitting in Auckland Airport, and they were, they were cancelling flights left, right and centre. Sarah's actually in Hamilton today, so we, we waved at each other as we flew past each other around about Mount Taranaki, and um, and she was sitting at Wellington Airport, and so the plane before mine was cancelled, so I rang her up and I said, what's the weather like down there? And she said, it's fine, what's wrong? And I said, I have no idea, they're cancelling planes. But anyway, I got home, random fact, didn't need to know that, waste of time. Um, comes to that moment where you get to board the plane and and you all if you've been there you all know what that's like you just walk on the the um, air bridge and then you you move from the air bridge into the airplane and when you do that nothing seems to happen except now you're sitting in a seat and as you're sitting in that seat you're there and you're still you and i haven't changed and but i'm about to fly and it's, it's like, I haven't grown wings. I haven't all of a sudden become lighter than the air. I haven't worked out how to change gravity, but I'm about to fly. And the reason for that is because I'm in the aeroplane. And as I'm in the aeroplane, we, we taxi out and we get to the end of the runway and then they you know, crank up the engines and away it goes. And, and halfway along the runway, the law of gravity is overtaken by the law of aerodynamics. And I'm flying. How cool. Right, But I, I look at my arms, and they haven't got the engines underneath them, and they're, they're not particularly aerodynamically designed arms either. Um, close, but not quite. But in that moment, I can obviously now fly higher and faster and further than I ever could by myself, because I'm in the plane. In Christ, you are free from the law of sin and death, and you are raised up to this new law, of life and of righteousness. And it happens because you are found in him. So then the question comes, how do you step into him? How do you step into Jesus Christ? Is it the same as stepping into an airplane? Well, fundamentally it is. Because you see, I, as I was outside that plane, I had to satisfy myself that that plane could do what it said it could do, and that is it could take off and fly and get me to Wellington. And once I had worked out that this was actually true and it could do that, then it was very simple. I stepped off the ground into the plane and I sat in the plane and I entrusted my totality of myself to the plane. Has anybody ever thought, I'm just going to do a 50-50 on flying? Now I'll leave half myself outside and do doesn't work, does it? It's all in. It's all in with Jesus too. It's called becoming a Christian. It's called being born again. Romans 10, 9 to 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You see, back to this thing, are you born a Christian? No. There comes a moment when you believe and you receive. There comes a moment when, when you would say, oh, this is true. And in that moment, you step into Christ. Well, how do you do that? Well, you turn away from the way you were going, and you turn to him. You Instead of entrusting yourself to whatever it is you're entrusting yourself to now, you entrust yourself to Christ. And how do you do that? Well, it's, it's amazing. You talk to him. And you invite him to come into your life. You recognize that you're separate from him. And you surrender yourself to him as your Savior and as your Lord. I wonder if that's something that you've done. You know, as you then do that, as Paul says here at the end of verse 9, you become justified. And that's a legal term where the judge would pronounce a verdict. Yeah, the amazing thing is this: when someone becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, God declares you just. He declares you right. That's all about His word, not about your actions. It's got nothing to do with what you do. It's got to do with the fact that you've surrendered yourself to Him. And that is what it means to be justified. <coughs> Where do we go from there? If losing our religion is about being found in Him, living out Our salvation is about becoming like him. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You know, all in faith is more than just having that wonderful sense of being in him and having justification. It's about knowing him. Yeah, there are four ways that we can know. The first way is this we we can learn about things to enrich our life. Right? We can know information. Right? Yeah, we can know about the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. We can know about a whole bunch of stuff. And, and that's good. It enriches us, it expands our thinking. That, that's one form of knowing. The second form of knowing is a little deeper. We can know, in other words, we can receive from others. We can know other people to benefit life, and we can enjoy community. I know you, and you know me. Some of us know each other a little better, right? We can know one another in that sense, and that we enjoy that relationship. We enjoy that friendship. The third way to know is to grow with and to share life, and we see that in marriage. And we know each other as a couple, and we share life together, and we share experiences together, and that we know each other. Well, the fourth way to know, which is what it's talking here with Jesus Christ, is even beyond that, it's to be changed to become like. And when Jesus says you'll, or when Paul says you'll know him, he wants to know Christ. He's saying, I want to become like him. I want to be changed to be like him and to know the power of his resurrection. You see, knowing Jesus means knowing this life-changing power that is given to us now when we step into him by faith. What does that look like? A friend of mine, Aiden, sitting over there. A number of years ago, I inspired Aidan and Matt over here into cycling. I'm going to take credit for that. They have long since surpassed me. But I remember the, the first few months of our cycling escapades and learning how it all worked and how you do this, this thing called road cycling. And, and we'd go out and we'd bike all around the place and we, we worked out fairly quickly you needed to have food on the, on the trip because otherwise you just get really hungry. And so you'd have your chocolate bars and your peanut butter sandwiches and your bananas, and it was great and it was wonderful and it was all good. And then I remember one day Aiden came along and uh, he looked with disdain at my drink bottle. And he said, what are you drinking? I said, water. He said, oh, you're missing out. He said, you need Powerade. He said, it just changes everything. And I just thought, oh, yeah, whatever. So I kept on having my water. And then we were doing a long trip one day, and and I think we were halfway around it. We were somewhere out up a hut, and um, I was struggling. And actually, that was normal. Um, But it was was just one of those ones where it just wasn't going so well. And I ducked into a dairy and I bought one of those blue bottles of of Powerade. You know the stuff, right? It looks awful. Right? And I thought, ah, oh, what's the harm? What can, yeah, wh- what's the worst that can happen? So I jumped on the bike, pedaling away, and, and in my state of sort of exhaustedness, and, oh, I better have a swig, so I had a swig. And I, I'd never had this stuff before. And it was like, I'd like to say, it was like I got rocket boosters. <laughs> it was more like I had like a, a fraction more energy. But I certainly felt it. And it changed something in me. And it meant I could go faster and longer and higher. And I was super. No, I wasn't super mad. We experience the same power which raised Christ from the dead surging through our life, overcoming sin producing Christ-like characters and qualities when we are all in for Christ. It makes me wonder if we're not experiencing the power of God in our own life because we're not actually on the stretch for God in our life. You see, I can sit on the couch and drink Powerade and it won't do a thing it's probably bad. Yeah, it leaves me bad. Yeah, there we go. I'm not advertising Powerade, by the way. Just saying so you know. that. But I wonder if that's how I live my Christian life. I spiritually sit on the couch and I really want to experience and know the power of God transforming me and changing me, but nothing seems to be happening and maybe it's because I'm not actually out on the stretch for Him. And I'm not doing battle with those areas of sin in my life. I'm not on the stretch in terms of the calling he has for me. I'm finding that it's, I'm just not there. I'm not living all in life. I'm living a half-hearted life for Jesus Christ. It strikes me that there is an abundance of resurrection power for those who need it. I wonder if we need it. The Greek word for power, interestingly enough, is the word that, which means overcomes resistance. And it means God gives us the power to obey. In fact, the more obedient you are to Christ, the more power becomes available. The further you go, the more you get. The more surrendered you are, the more power is available. The more active you become in pursuing him, the more he pours into you. In other words, Christianity is not an armchair sport. Following Jesus is not a put your feet up and wait following Jesus is all in. Following Jesus gives you this incredible power. It gives you a greater life to live for him. And so my question as we end is this, what's holding you back from stepping into the all-in relationship with Jesus Christ? Can I suggest to you, it starts as simply as saying, Jesus, I surrender all. Would you stand with me? Take a moment. Josh and the team are going to come and we're going to respond and worship. But take a moment right now and ask yourself that simple question Am I all in for Jesus? What would it look like if I was? What needs to change in me? What do I need to let go? What do I need to surrender? What needs to go in the rubbish bin? Am I all in? Father, as we respond and worship now, would we be all in in our response? Father, would we sense your Holy Spirit's leading and guiding to never look back, and to follow you with everything we have. We ask this, Lord, in your name.